0: Hello and welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast, an open forum film studies podcast that examines some of film history's most important movies. The group typically consists of teachers— who love film and secretly wish they'd majored in film studies back in college. And since those who can't do make podcasts, I guess, we decided it would be fun to launch a series of roundtable discussions that focus on some of the most important films ever made. Uh, and for our first episode, we are going to discuss a little film called Citizen Kane. But first, my name is Bill Ivers. I teach English at Nashua High School North And uh, I'm with Professor Andrew Martino, Professor of English at Southern New Hampshire University and Director of the Honors Program. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm great, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So um, when I first saw this film, um, I I was in college. It it took a while. But when I was in college, uh, I finally sat down. It was right around the time where um, the first AFI film list uh, came out, Um, the, the 100 greatest films of all time. And, um, and I sat down. It, it received a lot of press, and uh, I got to tell you, I was, I was, I was floored. You know, I was impressed. I, I, you know, I remember the credits roll, you know, rolled up at the end, or the, the, the title cards at the end, and uh, kind of sat there, and I just said, "Wow, you know, I, I see, I see why this film is getting all the, uh, the attention." Um, what about what about you? Did you?
1: I saw it first in a uh, in a college class. I was going to a community college. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I thought I might want to go in film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a film class, and and the class that I saw it in was a film theory class. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it wasn't the first film we saw, but it was in third or fourth, and I remember sitting through it in these very uncomfortable chairs. Uh, But I was absolutely captivated by it. It, Mm -hmm. it, I remember it it changed something in me. Mm -hmm. It was at that point, I think, after I saw that film, that I really became a serious student. Mm -hmm. Because I saw Orson Welles making such a work of art at such a young age. Mm -hmm. And I was depressed over that because I was in my early 20s myself. I hadn't done anything remotely, (laughs) you know, like what Welles did. But it really turned me on to what, what somebody could do Thinking about things differently, yeah. which I think is what Wells did with the film. Absolutely. He took all of the rules and said, I, I, "You know, why can't I do this or that with the camera angles or anything like that?" So mm-hmm. I consider my life, you know, in 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 a couple of different parts, and certainly there's before Citizen Kane and then. The moment after Citizen Kane. Yeah, and uh, I remember Orson Welles when I was a kid in the '70s on, on Merv Griffin or something like that. Yeah, I remember all of the wine commercials. We'll have
0: no wine before it. Yeah, time. my brother
1: and I. We you know we did the same thing. We were kids, made fun of him because he was so fat. Yeah, and we didn't know what he was famous for as kids. We just mm-hmm. knew that he was this person that Johnny Carson or Merv Griffin would always bring on, mm-hmm. and we loved him. We loved his voice. Yeah. Um, but, and he was very funny when he, when he came on, but it was only in my early twenties that I realized what this guy had actually done.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, you know, by the time he gets to Citizen Kane, he's already an incredibly accomplished artist, you know, um, just to give a little context. Uh, he was what, 2021 when he, um, did his famous, uh, war of the Worlds broadcast where he, he really shook up a lot of the listeners, um, you know, with his, uh, mock, uh, news broadcast, um, reporting on the invasion of, of Martians.
2: Martians.
0: Yeah. And even before that, he was a, uh, you know, he was a, an actor on the, yeah. on the stage and, uh, he made his mark, his initial mark in Ireland. Um, you know, legend has it that he faked his way onto yeah. the, uh, the gate theater stage and, and fooled the, uh, the proprietors of that particular company into thinking that he was some famous Broadway actor. So, um, and then eventually, you know, after conquering theater and, and you know, when the um, you know, I actually, eventually went to Broadway and did the uh, famous Voodoo Voodoo Macbeth, Voodoo Macbeth and uh, Julius Caesar. He was just a risk taker. You know, he was yeah. a, an experimenter, and uh, he always considered himself a uh, um, you know. A maverick in every medium, just testing the boundaries. And then eventually, he was being courted by some of the film producers yeah. over in, in Hollywood. And in a lot of the interviews, he claimed that he never really wanted to go over to Hollywood. That he um, kept brushing them off, and the offers kept getting better. And finally, Archeo um, Studio basically gave him carte blanche and said, y- "You know, here's a, here are the kings, keys to the kingdom. Do it. Do what you want." Um, and finally. Orson said, okay, fine. As long as I have absolute power." He didn't really demand much money, from what yeah. he later reports that he, he wanted um, he wanted power, he wanted freedom, uh, the you know the coveted final cut, which really no one had right. during that time. It was uh, obviously a the studio era toward the end of the the studio era, where you know it was very much a as I say a dream factory. But you know Orson didn't have much interference from the, from the studio system. so he uh, that's what got him over there eventually and so basically he was able to make um, it's kind of a, a rare moment I guess in, in film history where you where you have a director basically having the, the tools the, uh, of a Hollywood studio to make exactly what he wanted and from start to finish.
1: An untested director too. I know. Yeah, really. I mean, somebody who, who <laughs> is completely new to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he gets there and, and sort of becomes the darling. Mm-hmm. Becomes the darling. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, It hasn't happened since, I think, either. Oh. I, I mean, nowadays we see, you know, directors' cuts of films uh, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the studios, even today, even though they're much different, mm-hmm. still control so Absolutely. much. The directors are... Yeah, you know, it, unless you're a handful, unless you're Spielberg or someone like that, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you have, you know, even even Francis Ford Coppola can't make the movies that he that he really wants to today.
0: Yeah. He he has his own little company. Yeah. he has his own little, and he makes his own little films. But he doesn't have the the strength and the right, you know, the, the vitality of an of entire film studio at his fingertips. Um, so he has, you know, he, he's making these little films. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, Wells. Uh, he had never stepped foot onto a, uh, a sound stage uh, until, you know, he started testing for for Kane. And uh, this is the famous story of um, of Wells, you know, having made his mark in the theater. It's up to the the, the director in, in the theater to design the lighting yeah. for the most part. And I guess he was doing just that on the sound stage. And uh, you have Greg Tolan, you know, one of yeah. the most accomplished cinematographers. Um, being directed by orson wells where he wants the lights and and um you know it's it's up to the cinematographer traditionally in a in a film production to design the lighting and finally someone told orson you know that's that's mr tolan's job and and i guess tolan was a little bit upset at that because yeah. one reason he wanted to work with wells is because just for that very reason he was you know he, he didn't know what you couldn't do i yeah. guess and uh he was very interested in seeing what a untrained eye could do, you know, if that, you know, when that eye belongs to a true visionary. And so, um, anyhow, it's um, it did get made, and Orson, you know, for the rest of his career was was, you know, kind of struggling to um, get film projects made, and you know, I certainly he did make some great films going forward, but he never really had that um, that. Accessibility, no. I guess, uh, uh, you know, to the, the studio tools, yeah. and he became, you know, probably a, a pioneer also in, in independent filmmaking. Yeah.
1: He was, and I think that it's it's I think it's important to say that because he was so young and inexperienced. I wonder if he had been experienced, he probably wouldn't have made that kind of film, right? There's, because he just, you know, he was he was really. Guessing his way through it at yeah. the time. Know, I don't know if I, what I can do, what I can't do, and and you know, I I there's this story, and I don't know if it's true, but you know that Wells told Tolan that you know just don't tell me no, yeah, find a way to do, find it find a way and, to do it, and, you know, and we can move <laughs> that. You know, there's something about the spirit of invention that Wells was always talking about mm-hmm. uh, in, in interviews. You know, when Peter Bogdanovich would interview him, he say "Don't bring the notes. Let's yeah, let's just wing it, and Absolutely. you know it'll be much more authentic." Though. Absolutely. And, oh yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is it's the freedom of ignorance yeah right? exactly right and and what what happens is it
0: you know out of that emerges art yes absolutely yeah and he used the analogy that you know when you're when you're walking at the on the, on the edge of a cliff if you don't know you're on you know that's right if you know you're not near that ledge you're okay. not going to be afraid you know and um, that's kind of where he was and you're right um, a lot of things that seemed impossible at the time were made possible by some of the in- innovations if if a a shot seemed to be uh, required too much depth of field. Yeah. They they simply used uh, you know splicing techniques yeah. to create that depth, which uh, I guess we can start talking about some more specifics of of, sure. of the film. So, um, you know, because we can talk about perhaps uh, the film's narrative style. If we can talk a little bit about you know how you know the the, the way the story is told um, in terms of narration, how unique that was uh, at that time and in. in you know in films at least in American films it was uh, you know stories traditionally you know up until that point were very um, linear you know just um, you know point A point B point C uh, you know just that seems to be what audiences were comfortable with right and uh, I don't know of uh, of many films before Kane that had that you know disjointed um, flashback uh, kind of uh, narration yeah um
1: I I like, you know, what strikes me most about it, after seeing it so many times, is what a detective story it is. Mm-hmm. You know, not just about finding out wh- what he meant by Rosebud, but who this guy was, Charles Foster Kane. Yeah. And it's really taking all of the, the form of a detective novel, mm. and he's using it as, you know, as film. Mm. And then the camera is is just another, it's us, right? It's the yeah. reader, if we're reading a film or a book, mm-hmm. and the camera becomes another person. Mm-hmm. Almost protagonist like, in a way. Right. Especially with the movements of the camera. Right. Uh, sometimes that first scene, you know, going up the of trespassing yeah. and all of that where you know it's very modern in the sense that there's an intimacy there mm-hmm. that we don't have with other films prior right. to that Absolutely. I think oh yeah uh, you know we're in the room with Wells mm-hmm. uh, and with, with I should say with Charles Foster Kane and the other characters and it's almost as if we're the silent spectator
0: yeah literally I mean when we're at the you know in the room when he dies when, when yeah. Charles Foster Kane dies and, and, and drops the globe and, and utters uh, Rosebud um which prompts a question: How do they know? Yeah. he said "rosebud," which is that's true. Nobody's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which uh, I've heard that explained. Uh, perhaps um, you know the nurse who immediately comes in afterward. Perhaps she, you know, uh, she heard it through yeah. the door. You know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, perhaps he said it louder than. Uh, but anyhow, um, yeah, the multiple narration uh, framing is is just very interesting, and uh, I, I would think extremely demanding for audiences back then. And and who knows if that narration would have been possible if there was some producer um, breathing down his neck.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from his, because he was such a reader. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is is a person who was incredibly well-read. You know, Shakespeare is obviously one of his heroes. Mm -hmm. He knows not only character, but he knows... He knows how to put a story together. Oh, yeah. And, absolutely. you know, as much as Vanquins may have had something to do with that, it's still Wells' vision. Yes. You know, he's yes. the one who tells the story as the director. Right. Um, so, you know, to do it that way, it's a highly, to me, a highly literary it's film.
0: It's very sophisticated yeah. form of story. Yeah. It, there's. it's almost like a, it's, a, it's a novel. Um, yeah. It's kind of a novel approach. Right. No. Um, I heard that um, the, and this is coming from Wells, that the Rosebud, um, gimmick not to uh reduce its its importance but it w- was very much a, a Mankiewicz um you know contribution yeah. that, that it was and wells later on said that was the the thing that he least liked about yeah. the film he felt it was kind of like a like a freudian yeah Dime novel approach. Oh, it is. It is,
1: and it's gimmicky. I think you're right. Yeah. I think, I think it is gimmicky. It works. It does. And it's it gives the it gives the viewer something to sort of hold on to.
0: It's it's how they get out get out of it at it's the end. Exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And 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 it's how they get into the story as well. Yes. So it's a vehicle in that sense. But I, I think going back to the identity, it's really about who this guy was. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's. For example, I, I going and jumping all over, but I, I think that's the way the film is. You know uh, that snow scene where you know there's there's writing on the on the white page, mm-hmm. and then it goes to a snow scene, oh, that's beautiful, which yeah. is just yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You know that sort of context, uh, that juxtaposition from the written page to the screen. Yes. I think I don't know this for sure. Wells must have had that in mind. You know that that film is going to uh, oh, be yeah. this new sort of art form yeah. that is going to take over for literature.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: As as the preeminent. The 19th century is all about literature. It's all about the novel as a right. preeminent art form. And then, you know, in the 20th century, we
0: get film, right. which takes its place. And on, if you think about it, at that time, um, at least in American film, um, movies were, weren't were really considered a, a high art at right. the time. And um, perhaps, you know, Wells, uh, to him, it, certainly it was. Yeah. Um, and perhaps he foresaw that there was a day when it would be. I mean, obviously, now we have film studies oh, in right. college yeah. campuses, on college cam- and, and you can major. It's it's not, it's it's considered a high you know high art form yeah. you know right up there with you know any other art form and it really wasn't until what the the 50s and yeah. the, the 60s where it was kind of considered a, um, yep. a high art form and Wells 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 knew that he, he or he experimented where where this could go right. um, and uh, I think one thing I did hear Orson Welles say once in an interview that uh, the original concept of, of the multiple narrators would be to um, you know explore this character, which they do, but to, you know, kind of realize that depending on who's looking at a particular individual, yeah. you're going to get a very different perspective, right. a different a different story. Um, and I, I'm not sure if that ended up being the case in the end. Um, I think we we sort of get uh, an ambiguous character, you know, all in all, you know, yeah. you feel free to disagree with that. But I think in the end, um, Charles Foster Kane, we, we don't really know quite sure How no, I would
1: I would agree with you I think he is still an enigma at the end yeah uh, and I think Wells does that very purposefully. Yeah. Um I think it's too easy to see him as as um, Hearst you know Hearst yeah. might have been a model but I think he, he sort of goes from that I think it, it's it's he's a jigsaw puzzle right I mean that's the Susan Alexander jigsaw Medical. puzzle yeah. uh, that's the sort of connection there but all of those different people are putting different pieces of him together yes but what we never really hear is Kane's own story. He's true. never allowed to tell his own story, That's true. right? That's true. It's all everybody else. Right. So when we hear Kane speak in the film, it's always through the point of view of mm-hmm. one of the other characters. Mm-hmm. And they may have known him well or not, mm-hmm. uh, but it is, you know, whoever's watching this, especially students for the first time, have to know that this is constructed yes. deliberately. It's artifice yeah, absolutely. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, so no. in a way, he's really, he's also prefiguring celebrity.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that we sort of put these... Uh, Attributes to people that
0: we don't know yeah, right. that become more real than the real thing itself. Yeah, it's got twelve foot. Yeah, and uh, Wells did say that eventually a film, called, you know, Rashomon later yeah. on was uh, a film that was more in line with his original vision. Yeah, the, you know, the retelling of the same story yeah. through different eyes. Um, but in this case, you know, as he was as they, they were making it, as they were writing the script, it ended up being just sort of, um, you know. Uh, you know the pieces were forming, yeah. as you said, the same the same jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Um, so you know, in the end, well, uh, do you think that the the narrations contradict each other? I guess which, which would be more of a Rashomon approach. Do you think that uh, it's a all the narrations are kind of like a harmonious. Um, take of, of the same? That's a good question. You know. I
1: don't think they contradict one another, but I don't think they're harmonious either. Yeah. Uh, I think that they're absolutely real in the eyes of those, or in the voice of those characters that are telling the story. Right, right. Um, I think that contributes to his enigm- enigmatic status. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're meant to know Cain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and that's the point, mm-hmm. right? This is a guy who doesn't know himself. Yeah. And the proof of that is he was going. You know, when he first meets uh, Susan Alexander, he's going. He, you know, he has the intention of going to look at his old stuff from mm-hmm. his mother, uh, from his childhood. So this is a person who is, you know, ripped from his childhood. And and again, it's Freudian. So yeah. in, in that sense, but it doesn't mean it's it's necessarily invalid. So he's always trying to discover himself. Yeah. And and the fact that he never invests in anything, that he's always, you know, he's I've, I've always used my money
0: to buy things. So. <laughs> you know that
1: he's there's something. He's packing himself with more and more stuff. Yeah, uh, and the more you do that, the less you sort of feel.
0: Right, um, right.
1: Yeah. It, he can't understand why the people don't love him when he when he is forced to, or when he loses the election. And, right, you know. Um, there's so much going. So,
0: so that evaluation of him at the end uh, seems to, to ring true. You know, for me at least, yeah. uh, he's a um, an individual who who wanted love had you know had yeah. love. Early on in his life, but but lost it, and right. was you know constantly trying to in vain, uh, not knowing quite how to find it or acquire it, uh, longing for that that love that he, he once yeah. had, and uh, you know trying to perhaps ease the pain through various. I, I think at the heart of Charles right. F. Is, is pain. You know sure. that, that's what keeps him um, you know buying things, as he yeah. said, and uh, whatever, just always in, involved in this project of building his own kingdom and. Um, but it just, it just never works out for him.
1: He turns it into an art form, right? Mm-hmm. So in a way, Charles Foster Kane is just another artist. Uh, I mean, he's a capitalist, but he's also an artist mm. uh, that he's, he's sort of building up his own... His own image, yeah. uh, and you know, artists are something that that Wells knew intimately. Yeah, he, not only was he was he one, and I'm really distrustful of this word artist, but he really is an artist, and he surrounds himself with artists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he wanted to be a painter or a bullfighter, and all of those things. Yeah, uh, it's a multi-talented man. Yeah, and, and okay. yet himself, and I don't want to make too much of a of a uh, of an allusion to you know or this. We shouldn't make too much of, of Charles Foster Kane and Orson Welles being sort of so similar, but there are similarities that are undeniable. Yeah. You know, Wells was a terrible family man.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. You know, he really was reprehensible to his children.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And and
0: but the ones he knew about the ones he knew about. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and 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 his wives. You know, uh, this is a person who person who couldn't who couldn't who couldn't couldn't. Couldn't be monotonous. No, uh, he was always sort of moving.
0: Very self indulgent. Very like, self indulgent. Like like Kane himself, just yeah. always moving on to the next thing. And he, and it's it, it interesting. In uh, several interviews, I I've heard him say that uh, he values things like friendship, family, loyalty, yeah. more than art. Which, which is yeah. <laughs> which uh, you know, it's not demonstrated <laughs> right, in his life because right. uh, there there are so many examples of his life where he just um, it's all about yeah. his project, his current project, yeah. and. Uh, you know, when it's convenient for him, he seems to be uh, a loving father yeah. here and there. But it's, it's you know, if, if his art is waiting for him right. in the wings, he's always going to go back to that. So he is, you know, he is, a, a you know, a true artist in, in that sense. And I'm
1: not sure if all artists are not like that. I mean, we hear so many stories about artists being who are self-indulgent and mm-hmm. self-destructive. Picasso mm-hmm. treated his women horribly. Uh, you know, right. and there's just there's any number of of artists yeah. that do that, and yeah. perhaps that's what it means to be an artist, yeah. a true artist, that you have to sacrifice everything for that art.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: maybe this is why there aren't more artists yeah. uh, today. Um, I don't
0: know. That's it's just... yeah, it, it, that conversation comes up with me and a, another colleague of mine. Um, if you think about it, go down the list of all the great artists that we admire and study, and many of them are just. Terrible people, right. you know, but we still we still love yeah. the art, and we, we right. just we don't allow that to take away from the brilliance of what
1: right or, or they're what addicts, they've done or their alcoholics. I mean, yeah. what is it about genius that attracts such self destructive behavior? Yeah, and you know, it, it, it could be argued that Wells was at least a borderline alcoholic. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a person who drank. You know, well, his appetites were vast, obviously. Yeah. But you know, this is all self—even de- is eating, self-destructive behavior. Oh yeah. Um, so in a way, that that's that's a kind of addiction. Yeah, that's,
0: absolutely, yeah. That, that does something. And again, it could be um, at the heart of it. Could be pain. Yeah. You know, the fact that um, you know you just have so much in your in your life that hurts that you just yeah. have to self-medicate in some ways. Yeah. You know, whether it's food and yeah. um, you know what have you. But yeah, um, get back to the. Um, the uh, the film here we have uh, the cinematography of course we can't mm-hmm. you know can't discuss this film without really getting in depth with that um, you know it just films didn't look that way at no. that time you know great Greg, Greg Tony, if you look at some of his other movies obviously he's a great cinematographer and uh, you can see that his mark is, is definitely on on Kane in a big way um, but yeah, and he just was allowed to really flourish as yeah. as a cinematographer during uh, during this film what are some of the um, the scenes or you know, particular techniques that really stick out to you. For me, I just love, you mentioned the, um, the scene where he, um, where the reporter goes into the, uh, um, the archive, the archive, yeah, where, yeah. where he, you know, he goes and sits down and, and reads the journal of, yeah. um, of Thatcher. Yeah. And you just see some of the theatrical lighting that, you know, obviously, uh, yeah. Wells certainly had a lot to do with, with that. Yeah. And you see, you know, the, the spotlight coming down from yeah. the, uh, it must be a, some sort of skylight and yeah. coming down onto the, the, uh, the journal which you know very much indicates the the illumination of what he's about to read yeah. and uh, it, and the room looks cold it does i mean if
1: you if you if you look at that room where, where he's where the reporters in reading that and contrast that with you know the newsroom of the Enquirer, when they, there's a warmth to that mm-hmm. and i think you know he it, wells does that beautifully with smaller spaces and then larger spaces yeah. and the absolutely. lighting has a lot to do
0: with that yeah, absolutely I think he had to do a lot with nothing uh, yeah. or little, I should say. I mean, the film, um, from what I understand, uh, the budget was a little bit shy of a million dollars. Yeah. So to create these these vast, um, you know, spaces uh, or building or structures, he had to kind of do a lot of implying. Right. So there, there's not much in this this archival room except for you know a door, right. Table, walls, and, and, and lighting. Yeah. But he just sort of implies. Which is very good at working the theater. You have to use obviously implication right, quite right. a bit, um, and, but it just seems like this just very, you know, hollow interior. And uh, he sits down, and just that that that, that lighting, lighting is just extremely yeah. extremely I, I striking. I think you hit
1: the nail on the head there. I think that what we're seeing in this film is is it's from the mind of a theater director, mm. not a film director yet. Yeah. So he's really, you know, I, I think he's he doesn't know how to work in film. So he's sort of, you know, stumbling his way through it. But what mm-hmm. he does know is theater, mm-hmm. which is why I think such those shots resonate so, oh, yeah. so much. And, and Tolan must have been like, you know, wow, I can't believe I, I can do this. Yeah. You know, because it's 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 different than the norm.
0: Yeah. It's, let, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. And uh, it just there are a lot of special effects in this film. It doesn't it doesn't seem like a special effects right, yeah. movie, you know, at first glance. But just little things like in that, you know, again in the archival scene, you have the uh, it opens up on the um, the statue of yeah. Thatcher, that is a, a papier mache yeah. little model, yeah. you know, with with some forced perspective, and the camera it, it's it's basically superimposed or or or. or Spliced in there, right. um, and the camera moves down, and again you just get this this hall with a lot of nothingness, yeah. with just little indications that we're in this 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 big archive, and yeah. uh, it's really it's really neat. And um, no, for, for me, I like um, I love the scene um, when we have the um, let's go back to the scene in the snow, where you have. Um, just, you know, one obviously thing that's worth mentioning is, is the, fact, the fact that Wells um, didn't really know the, the, the language of film. Yeah. Uh, he felt that, you know, the fewer cuts in any scene, the better. Later on, he, he would say that it's when you separate the men from the boys, the, yeah. the fewer the cuts, the more, de- you know, the more desirable. And he felt that, um, you know, when you have a, a camera just sort of on a scene, if it's if it's composed correctly... Uh, then you don't need cuts. That yeah. cuts. You, you rely on cuts um, when you really want to force the, the the viewer to, to see something, um, the audience to see something that you yeah. really want them to see. And you reserve some of the cuts for more dramatic moments. So the scene in the snow in the the boarding house, I don't know the number, but there are very few cuts in that scene. Yeah. You know, it goes down as you said from the the page, and then you have the uh, the snowball hitting the sign. Yeah. And then you have. It, it's not just the you know, the transition of, of the, the shot, but you also have the, the, the music suddenly stopping, right. which is kind of a radio technique. Yeah. Just sort of just snowball hits and then, you know, the camera moves down and you see this, you know, this this little yeah. innocent figure in the snow playing, you know, the Union Forever and and then you have the camera sort of um, there, backing into the room. And through the window.
1: Through the, the window. Through the, I mean, that was so... I remember watching that for the first time and just being... And every time I watch it today, I'm blown away by yeah. the shot.
0: I mean, imagine uh, so many different points where that could go wrong. Yeah. You know, and they. And I'm sure they do. Yeah. They have to t- take it yeah. to take. But, you know, the camera had to go through pieces of furniture. Yeah. And, um, you know, the table is actually yeah. cut in half. They had to go through a table. And, yeah, right. And they had to push it together. And you actually see, you can see, like, the hat still yeah. wobbling immediately <laughs> after it goes through. And uh, there's no cut, really, uh, until—so the the entire scene is acted out. The entire drama of that scene is acted out until— the camera goes back again to the window, and uh, the mother, you know, uh, says Charles, and then that's the very first cut of, the, of of that scene, really.
1: And it's a jarring Charles, which I, I've always thought was meant to get our attention, be, to take us because the beauty of that shot mm-hmm. visually is, is, for me, stunning. so when she says Charles, yeah. it's, it's like you know, <laughs> I, I still I just watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I, you know, sat yeah. up. Uh, it's just you know,
0: it's fantastic, and I think that goes to show um, another brilliant choice uh, Wells wanted to bring on. Actors the who were, yeah. un, you know, not trained, right. on, you know, in front of the camera. They, they were, they were theater actors, and, you know, he trusted his. Uh, it, that kind of concept was unknown to film to have yeah. your own kind of company, uh, concept, in a in a, in a, in a yeah. film setting, and um, you do get, you know, when I when I watch this, I don't feel like the uh, the acting. I don't feel like really anything is dated in the movie when no, I watch I don't it. Either. Uh, but I, I especially don't feel that the um, the acting is dated. I feel that there it's there is some realism there that we that's very palatable to our you know to the modern audience. And you know um, the, the name of the actress is, is escaping me at this Agnes Dick, Moorehead. Agnes Moorehead I mean, of course, yeah. of course, and uh, you know she this a great performance. She's she's terrific. And, and she only has a few moments in the yeah. and she she was one of his you know go to ac- yeah. you know actresses, and she appeared you know in his next film, uh, Magnificent Ambersons. Yeah great great role but you know you get on the list you know the you know a lot of the even secondary performances are just are really incredible and i think we we often will kind of gloss over wells's performance sure you know his performance is is fantastic and i I tell my students when we see this film you know that old man there he's a 24 year old actor playing a a 70 something year old uh, tycoon and uh you know, the, the makeup is incredible. Right. It's just, it, the, you know, everything just seemed to have gone uh, correctly. It's
1: so believable, especially in that scene when they're at Xanadu and he walks in at night on Susan and she's sitting down by the, that enormous sort of like Frankenstein fireplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> and he's just sort of moving slow and, and, yes. and very mechanical like an old like an old man that's that's another by the way that's another scene that sticks out for me the use of shadows and those long sort of depth of field shots oh yeah that you know every time and then he goes to sit in the corner which seems so far away from where she is we don't really know you know how big the room is it's just we know that it's
0: at any moment you can pause the film yeah and what you see tells a story yeah it tells you about the characters it tells you you know it has thematic uh, implications um, it's just, it's really unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I, I like to implement uh, when I teach film uh, what Roger Ebert calls um, cinema interruptus. Mm-hmm. Where it's it's kind of like the 15 minute rule. Every 15 minutes, um, you pause it. Or if someone in the class, this can go, this can go severely wrong if you have the wrong class <laughs> dynamic, but, you know, anyone can say, you know, stop, I see something. Right. Yeah. You pause it. Okay, what do you see? And, and with Kane at work, I mean, you yeah. never get through the movie if you right. did, because, because right. every single shot, um, is a statement about yeah. the film's theme and uh, yeah absolutely that one is no exception where the, the the vast chasm between the two characters is is right there you have you know Kane you know, across the room sitting in a throne like chair and she's uh,
1: partially in shadow I mean all of those things are
0: yeah are, are deliberate very deliberate and, and she has this very submissive uh, you know position on the floor uh, very much at his mercy yeah. Uh, doing the doing the puzzle and what's interesting uh, speaking of the lighting uh, Wells was supposed to have been heavily influenced by the German yeah. expressionist filmmakers um, but he claims to have never seen uh, yeah. you know even later in life and to, to, in, in, uh, it just goes to show you that if that is true,
1: yeah,
0: you know, just how... I'm not how so sure
1: how true that is, <laughs> because when I watched the film, again, just uh, for the first time a couple of weeks ago, in a long time, uh, it was, the first thing that struck me was how German it looked. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you know, Wells is somebody who made up so many stories about You, you do not know what's real what's fake. ...that you didn't know. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean...
0: He, he supposedly sat down uh, at a dinner with Hitler at the table. <laughs> of uh, course. You know, he told the story <laughs> and then Hitler supposedly made no impression whatsoever. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I... I love listening to Wells in an interview, but yeah. you just you simply don't know what's what's true. You don't know what's true. I mean, again, that's an artist He's <laughs> building his own sort of you know his own legend. His own legend, Absolutely. exactly right. You know, and um, so that you know, I love that that scene, and, and that's I, I honestly I, that's when the film really starts to to hit home for me on an emotional level yeah. because you start feeling for this. Uh, this this couple, and uh, you know the scene where they decide or he decides they want to. He wants to have a picnic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm using air quotes for picnic, but, you know, it's, you know, you have this motorcade going down the beach and they end up in some, you know, woodland area, you know. And the
1: motorcade goes on forever. I mean, it's just
0: unbelievable. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, and that scene in the tent, you know. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, again, some of the radio techniques coming through and even um, predating some of, you know, the the Robert Altman kind of. You know, commotion of 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 different overlapping overlapping audio. They're having this fight, and in the background, you still hear the music swelling up, and you hear this bizarre screaming. We don't know quite quite what it is, whether it's playful or uh, you know some sort of fight going on outside. And it just really adds to the you know the chaos. And and they're
1: completely unmoved by it. Oh yeah, which they're just completely detached. And Mm -hmm. and uh, Susan, I think, recognizes it. Mm -hmm. She tries to get him to, to go out, and he's just. Completely withdrawn into himself after that, after her failure as a as an opera singer, yeah. which he sees, of course, as his
0: failure. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and He's going to take take the quote off singers, right? Yeah, that was right. The, the concept. Yeah. Always, a guy, always trying to prove something, right? Yeah. And uh, so he, he, he built this opera house, not necessarily out of out of love, right? Um, you know, he, he wanted to a lot of vanity, a lot really? of vanity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's a really sad story because. You know, and one of the questions I ask after I you know teach this film, or you know, do you feel for this this character? Is there you know, do you feel any sympathy? And I, you get mixed you know mixed yeah. feedback on that. Some of the kids will, you know, fee, feel nothing for him, think that he's just a you know, a vain God. jerk, yeah. yeah. But you know, some people will, you know, and I think that's good. That's, I think that's 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 really kind of helpful because I, I think you, you should feel conflicted. I think with yeah. a lot of central characters of if, if the film or story, whether yeah. it's a book or play or whatever is interesting enough. All right, with that, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about some more elements of this uh, classic film, Citizen Kane.
2: What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. Those early bird friends of Annie's, who've already sent for their new 1940 model orphan Annie shake-up mug. You know, all of Annie's friends who drink sweet chocolate-flavored ovaline can get these swell new shake-up mugs free. And boy, are they beauty. Wait till you see them. They're made of genuine fetalware in brand-new colors. A beautiful deep green and a bright, flashing scarlet. And every mug has a big-colored picture of orphan Annie and her dog Sandy right on the front. And don't forget, this shaker-upper is a two-in-one gift when you put the top on, it makes the keen shaker for mixing your ice cold chocolate-flavored Ovaltine shake-ups. And then, when you take the bright red top off, presto, the shaker turns into a swell, big drinking mug, holding a creamy, bubbly shake-up all ready for you to drink.
0: Man alive,
2: what fun you'll have with that new shaker-upper, playing the shake-up game with your friends, and having shake-up parties, making a picnic out of every meal this summer. Think of having a delicious ice-cold shake-up drink anytime you want it, made with fresh cold milk and sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine. Mmm, what a treat on a warm summer day. And, of course, Mother will be glad to have you fix all the shake-ups you want because she knows how much extra pep and energy food there is in every single Ovaltine shake-up. Loads of extra vitamins and minerals and other things everybody needs to be healthy and husky the way we all want to be. So, here's the thing. Annie wants all her friends to have one of these swell new 1940 model shake-up mugs, and he want to get one, I know, especially when Annie has fixed it so fellows and girls who drink Ovaltine can get one absolutely free, even though our regular price is 50 cents. So, listen closely. Here's what to do. Sit right down after tonight's adventure and print your name and address plainly on a piece of paper. Send it in along with a thin metal foil seal from under the lid of a can of sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine. Mail it to Orphan Annie, Chicago, Illinois, and she'll send you your new 1940 model shake-up mug absolutely free. Now, don't put it off, will you? Ask Mother to get you a can of sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine right now, and send in that seal for your free shake-up mug tonight. Mail it to Orphan Annie, Chicago, Illinois. Any story, but she can offer this wonderful free shake-up mug only to her friends who live in the United States. But if you do live in the United States, send in On
0: the deathbed. You can just think of something so insignificant as, um, or seemingly insignificant. Which turns out to
1: be much more significant than we give credit.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. the You know, the, the sled. And, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people, when they think of Cain or, you know, they'll see the 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 payoff at the end. It's like, you know, some people get outraged. It's a sled? I sat yeah. there like... But when you really think about it, um, there's a lot of significance there. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm moved by the metaphor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think of it as just a, a sled. And, and I, I find um, that to be a, incredibly true that, you know, when it's all said and done, it's, sometimes it's just these... Uh, these these seemingly little things that right. are on your mind, but when it comes down to it, they're you know they're not little things. Right. They're
1: and, and and moreover, what happens to all that stuff in the end? You know, it's it's incinerated. Yeah. You know, this guy builds his whole life, or his whole life he builds up this, all of these things, and and for what? It's yeah. all destroyed.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah.
1: And and nobody you know after that really knows yeah. anything
0: about it. And he's he, he's he's dead alone. Yeah. This is saddest in a room. part for
1: me is the ending. Yeah. When The sled sled does go up in flames, and yeah. seeing those people sort of throw that all of right. that stuff away. Right. Right.
0: And I think the film didn't do well in the box office. No. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we call it a, a failure. Um, I don't know for sure. I, if if it broke even. Um, I, th- I think
1: Hearst had a lot to do with that too. Yeah, it could because he did sabotage a, a lot of the showings that, that were yep, supposed to happen. Absolutely, um, yep. threatened the theaters, and so the theaters could not show it.
0: Yeah, had a lot to do with so, it. You know. And so, you know, I, I it, it probably if it did play, let's say it, it got a, a fair release, yeah. um, you just wonder how audiences would react to it. I know. Um, I, I've seen some. Um, Comments in you know they did the um, the surveys and some some of the the screenings during that time. Uh, Some it's interesting because it was kind of a mixed um, from what I've read a lot you know a lot of mixed commentary. You know some people would say that this is this is the most mind blowing. Right. They didn't use the term mind blowing, but they 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 reacted very favorably towards it. But then you have other people who would say that this is you know it was just dark you know just too dark. And for a lot of people, I can imagine that could be uh, just. Just too much, right? You know, it's just a lot of films were, had to be life affirming back then, especially uh, given the time. Especially given yeah. the time, you know, we're, we're just emerging from the the depression, yeah. and, and you know, obviously a very uh, turbulent period yeah. for us. And so, a lot of people went to the went to the, the cinema for uh, you know escape yeah. to escape. And uh, you know, I, I like Frank Capra, but you know, a lot of his films you know told you what you kind of wanted to hear. Yeah. And Wells wasn't interested necessarily in that. Right, this wasn't a
1: make-you-feel-good sort of film at all. It it is dark. I I mean, uh, I resonate with dark or I should say dark films resonate with me. Mm. Uh, I don't know why, that's just my personality. But Mm. uh, I'm very sort of anti-Capra, you know. Mm -hmm. his films, I I still can't watch them.
0: Capricorn. Yeah, I I, I just can't do
1: it. Um, I don't know. I I, I think it's easy for me to say, you know, in 2016, but I don't think he got a fair shake. When, when that film was released.
0: Wells? Yeah. yeah, but I
1: don't think it's necessarily just Hearst's fault. You know, Wells, if he was great at anything besides film, it was making enemies. Yeah, that's you true. Know? Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he sort of went deliberately out of his way to make all of these enemies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he alienated Hollywood. Hollywood did not right. alienate him. That's very true. Um, and, uh, you know, he never, from, you know, from Ambersons afterwards, he really never gets yeah. back in. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, Hollywood is a very hostile place for the true yeah. artist who's right. not willing to be even the slightest right. bit political, and yeah. that that was Wells. Reminds me of, uh, and I know you've you've uh, also read the book uh, My Lunches with Orson, yeah, yeah, where he um, he gets this meeting with an HBO executive, yeah. uh, Susan Smith, I believe her name was, and, and basically it's it's his chance to sort of um, you know pitch a, an idea he has, and not even a minute goes by in the conversation, yeah. and she she shows. I don't even know if she showed a reluctance, but something that he interpreted to be as a sign of reluctance and forget it. He, he shut her... Did he her... say...
1: Is that the one when he said, I've lost you? I mean, oh, he yeah. actually said that to yeah, her, I've right? lost you yeah.
0: because of a look your, in her...
1: Your eyes glazed over or something, yeah. It
0: was something as silly as that. And I think that was a little glimpse of probably how he handled yeah. uh, these types of, of negotiations. Yeah. And... Uh, And I don't don't think he could help himself because you have to. He he had to play. But he picked an. uh, He picked an an expensive paint box to work with. You know. Exactly. um, You know. I like. I like to to write myself, and uh, I know that I I can do it anytime. All I need is a a laptop or a pen and pencil. But I can imagine just having to, uh, you know, rope uh, around up. Te- right. Technical people and in budgets, I can't imagine how that.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, Oya Kodarts tells the story about how they used to travel with the suitcase with his movie Ole Yes, in the suitcase. Yes. So it was yes. like you know his homemade studio in, in his suitcase going, yeah. going from place and to he, place. He, he
0: kind of treated it as kind of yeah. like his little journey. He he approached it as a, <laughs> as a as a writer where you can you know to sort of uh open up the the film You're case right. and yeah. take out the camera where where yeah. where we felt moved to, but you know, that's not conducive to the Hollywood right. Right. Hollywood system. And so, you know, his next his next film, The Magnificent Ambersons, you know, um, kind of a fractured piece, you know, yeah. I, I, I personally think that the butchering of the ending still didn't ruin the film. Yeah, I still think I, it's, I agree. A, yeah, it's still, a great, still film. a great film. I can't imagine well, we didn't make it. I mean, it right. wasn't our vision <laughs> exactly. And, and there are anecdotes of, of Wells crying. Um, yeah. Coda, um, you know, mistress. You just mentioned. Uh, tells a story of him uh, of her walking into him uh, his room.
1: Yeah,
0: and he's, he sees it on TV, and uh, you know, he's 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 watching it. and he's, he's like crying yeah. as he's as he's seeing his you know. I guess basically one of his his children, or but you, but, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so, uh, but he did get his 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 one shot, uh, and it really goes to show you how um, you know what could happen if a true artist was able, you know, true in, in the medium of film. If a true artist had every uh, option yeah. in, of the film studio, what what could be possible? Yeah. You know, even someone like uh, Lucas. Um, you know, when he made Star, you know, along the way, he was limited by, yeah. you know, by whatever outside external forces, yeah. and uh, and and what Wells had at that that moment, and, and Wells himself said it, you know, later on that that film probably should have never have been made. Right. Everything was against it, but it, it did happen. And and
1: as you mentioned, Lucas, you know, he comes after Wells, so all of those, you know, they did have that to fall back on, where Wells really didn't have. You know, he had a few people, directors, to fall back on. John Ford, for example, he said he watched Stagecoach over and over again to right. know, sort of train himself on how to yeah. make a film. Right. But you know, that's there's only maybe one or two or three films that he could watch and, and try to imitate where yeah. Lucas has this whole history of film. Yeah. I'm not trying to, to, to downplay Lucas's you know, his his impact on the field. But right. it isn't the same as, you know, Wells comes at the right time.
0: At the right time. Yeah. I mean think so about the Beatles. it. You know, yeah,
1: it comes along at just the right time. The
0: Beatles couldn't have worked as no. they did in the '80s, no, or what have you. Absolutely not. You know. Or today,
1: even if they got back together, I don't think. No. They, you know, if they were alive, and, and, and it's it's the timing is so. Timing
0: much. Is, is essential with with some great works. Yeah, and I mean, luck. Yeah, luck too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Wells um, did at that moment what perhaps um, you know some you know, name uh, an iconic silent film, yeah. maybe like I don't know. Uh, Birth of a Nation and Battle yeah, Battleship right, Attack right. uh Wells did for the sound era. Yeah. And Wells himself and I don't know if this was necessarily a boast, but Wells said that since Kane um no one else has really tried to see where else the medium could go, at least during his lifetime. Uh, maybe he did with, um, you know, F for Fake, you know, what else can you do with the medium of film? Um, And, you know, he kind of made a, you know, what he described as as a film essay. But basically the medium of film is, you know, has sort of been, you know, there's been lots, obviously great, great films, but they're, they're, they're great in their own, you know, particular, they're abiding by a certain parameters of the medium and Wells always liked to approach uh, his medium, film, as like kind of like a like painters would always yeah. ap- approach their medium. Like, where else can I go? I don't want to duplicate myself. Yeah, um,
1: which is really the opposite of what Hollywood is doing today, where yeah. we see so many, you know, uh, movie after movie of, the, of really the same caliber. Absolutely. And you know, the, the advances in film now is so technologically driven, you mm-hmm. know, the CGI is getting better and all of these yeah. weird effects, and it, it, they're fun to watch and they're good, and some of the movies are, are, are I think, exceptional, but sure. you know, what Wells did on that budget with just actors and, yeah. and the sort of, the audacity, really, to yeah. make a film, yeah. is, is, is I think directors today lack that.
0: Yeah, I mean, exceptional, but you know, are they original? Yeah, you know, I guess right. is the next question, and I think, uh, you know, the, the marketplace dictates, you um, you know what is going to be made, of course. Yeah. And uh, when it comes down to it, these these companies are are owned by stockholders and, right. and bankers and. You know, I guess you can understand from their perspective. We can't, you know, we can't run any risk of losing money. We have to make right. five billion dollars on this movie.
1: Um, it has to have a strong opening weekend. They don't give it a chance to sort of to get into its own, right? To right. Discover its audience, or for an audience to discover
0: the right. film, right? So artistry um, or exploration is is not really a, right. a priority for at least the the big studio system. I'm not system.
1: sure it's, it's encouraged in the Hollywood system. No,
0: not really. No, I mean, not, not, not unless it it's going to make money. Right. <laughs> right. You know, then you have some, you know, some outside forces like, you know, Woody Allen is yeah. still is still doing it. It's amazing, but he his films don't make a heck of a lot of money, right. but there's always someone backing up. And his he does projects. one every year. I, he does he, one you know, every he's year,
1: continually doing one.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So and some of them are better than others, but consistently, it's I, I, it's you know he's he is one of those
0: he's, few. He's an auteur who's yeah. who's given. Um, but his his movies don't require right large budget. I mean, right. now and then he'll make a period movie, which yeah. will will cost a little bit of money, but nothing it compared. Like
1: no, it's an old neighborhood, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: It's not, like a, yeah.
1: it's, it's not a stretch.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting that this film happened. And, uh, you know, once again, when I, when I watch this movie, I just, I ask my, I say to myself, it's just so amazing that this, this is a 1941 yeah. movie. It doesn't, look i mean it's other than the fact that it's black and white and, right. and some of the you know obviously the the, the costuming and what have you it, it doesn't it doesn't look No it does it does not look old um a lot has to do with the way it's um it's lit very brilliantly so wells did not want any um you know he wanted to, everything to be seen Yeah. you know so uh something in the far in depths uh, of the scene, you can see pretty pretty well if you f- want to focus your eyes on that. Okay. Um, so he used, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that the technical uh, equipment that he used, but from what I he used uh, some some lenses that made this cape, you know, possible, and some you know some lighting. You know, obviously the the convention was to blur slightly things that right. were you know not prioritized in the scene, and um, but that's 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 not how we saw it because it you know he felt. That's not how it's seen in real life. Yeah. You can focus on whatever you want when you're looking around the room, right? And uh, and so I think that sharpness, that brilliance of the of the the image, just I think really makes the film really really new and fresh. It doesn't seem
1: it doesn't seem dated at all at all. Uh, when I watched it a few weeks ago, is it, it was almost as if it was just made. It yeah. Was, even the acting sometimes acting can seem dated. Yeah. Uh, and
0: this it didn't I didn't get that no, impression at all. Not not at all. Um, even you know. Let's say you know the the Kane's first wife. You know those scenes. Uh, uh, a scene that could be you know perhaps incredibly overacted and in, in, uh, a throwaway scene. He makes into just an incredibly um, profound. The, the, the breakfast scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, Is, is, is yeah. kind of what I'm referring to. Uh, and uh, you know just the fact that the entire story of a marriage is told over the over breakfast. Over breakfast table, over a breakfast yeah. table in, in, in thirty thirty or so seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, just conversations between a husband and wife. It's just, just these little subtleties, and there's so many subtleties that yeah. that never fail to uh, to move me when I watch when I watch them.
1: And, and, yeah. and you're right. And in under a minute, we see this marriage dissolve into into this acrimonious sort of uh, mm-hmm. contentious relationship yep. that they have. Yep. It's brilliant. And, and I, I'm I'm convinced he must have got that from his radio experience and his and mm-hmm. his you know experience in the theater. Yeah. You know economy. Absolutely. And, and and he can do it. And he and he pulls it off.
0: Yeah. He had to condense. You know, in the in the, you know, in his theater or, or his radio program, he had to con- you know condense Shakespeare. He was uh, he was yeah. great at condensing. You right. know he. You know, he always cut a Shakespeare play yeah. when he staged him or when he put it on the radio. Uh, so yeah, I mean, economy is definitely one of his, one of his strengths. And um, you know, at the end of that scene, I love how you know, there's no in that last segment. There's there's no talking between the yeah. two. You know, just they're both reading the paper, and but she opens up the uh, competitor. Right? Yeah, that yeah. the, was the Chronicle, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just it's it's very it's it very says sad. So
1: much, and that little smile that she has on her face, yeah. and almost a smirk.
0: One thing that's very interesting about that is, like, you know, the in the um, the only reference to her um, uh, her fate is in the the newsreel, right? She ends up dying in a car crash with her son, yeah, and. and, and who, who you know upon the first viewing, who's going to remember that? Right. And the, the son, I just wonder why that's never revisited. Yeah. Because that would seem like a a key key moment. But maybe with Kane that wouldn't be a key moment. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you think that would be, you know, an incredibly painful moment for him yeah. that would be dealt with in the film. But, but it isn't. You're right. It's, it's never just,
1: really. It's almost as if his wife and his son were something he acquired. Al- another thing he acquired along the way. I mean, another lost, like,
0: like another statue that yeah. that broke. Yeah, you know, and that's that's sad. Um, but uh, and the the music for me. I mean, the, the music in this film, Bernard Herrmann's score. Oh God, uh, it's it's. I mean, in fact, I played it. Um, I. I Found the soundtrack on Spotify recently. And really, it, it, I didn't realize yeah.
2: they.
0: Oh, it's, and, and you know what? It's it's really it's even more amazing yeah. when you listen to it, apart from the film, because it works on its own. And that's the thing about Wells' music throughout his career is, yeah. he he never. I mean, maybe a couple times he had you know some of these, studio right writers make the score for his film. You know, kind of like throwaway yeah. background music. But that didn't happen often. Most of the time, his yeah. music was, um, was well chosen. Well, he had
1: Henry Mancini for for. Uh, um, What's the uh, one? Touch you, of evil. Touch of evil. Yeah, yeah, the the jazz score. Yeah, the yeah. jazz score. But then, when I saw Othello, I saw it in the theater for the first time after it was restored in New York oh, no City. Oh kidding! Oh wow! Uh, a friend of mine, we just happened to be walking by, and it said Orson Welles Othello, so oh, we uh, stopped in. We just again perfect timing, and the music to Othello is absolutely yeah. haunting. Oh, that's, that's that incredible! And
0: I think they redid it. I think yeah. I think they um, they had an orchestra. Um,
1: they did because it was. I mean, the the film is is brilliant but flawed, and the sound was badly damaged yeah. when they first rediscovered Absolutely. it. Absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, and just listen to that soundtrack, you know, outside of the context of the, yeah. of the film and it works. And the same with, uh, you know, obviously Bernard Herrmann went on to uh, do some great things oh, with, yeah. with Hitchcock and yeah. he was, uh, you know, obviously a, a change agent in his own particular sphere.
1: But that's, a, that again, that's a testament to Wells's genius to be able to bring all of these people together yeah. who are really, you know, exceptional in their own fields. Yeah, he... And, and you know again and again
0: use them he's a great great judge of, yeah. uh, of, of talent um, he used to say also in interviews that he will cast friends even if it's um, detrimental to yeah. the, the particular part but uh, I, I can't there's really no I can't think of any miscasting no, in, in a lot of his either. career I think it's, and, it's great. And
1: every time he acts with Joseph cotton you, you know that the chemistry there is just dead on oh, yeah. I mean it's just those two were just brilliant yeah. together.
0: Especially the scene in um, in Cain when you know the night of the, the lost election. Yeah. You know the famous uh, uh, scene where you know they sort of begin to kind of fa- yeah. it obviously it happens before that, but you know they, well, they uh, confront each other. They confront really, each yeah. other head on, and um, you know obviously the camera angle. Is, that's you know a great example of, of the low camera, yep. uh, low angle shots where they actually had to dig through the floor yeah. and uh, under the floor the floorboards of the studio and just get the camera as low as humanly possible. And uh, you know, great shots of the ceiling there. And then you have the the mistake that was left in, but works really well. Where Cotton uh, mispronounces criticism. Yeah. And uh, you know, they kept rolling, and it it, it it works. It works perfectly. But um, I think I think we can uh, we can end this here. All right. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you, Andrew Martino of um, Southern New Hampshire University for joining me on this very first. Film Studies podcast. We hope we shed some light on this film and uh, we hope for future episodes and uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us and until next time take care.